Let's talk about spiritual warfare. Under the title, Stand. Last night I said it and a couple of people stood. That's all, that was fun. And by the way, Mama Gail's gonna help me today. Uh, I love the book of Ephesians. I, I, I didn't intend to love it as much as I have this year. I'm not gonna finish it. I don't think I'll get finished before our anniversary. So we'll push it on into November a little bit or October a little bit. I told you that there's a thematic tracing of the book called Sit, Walk, and Stand. The word sit is found in the first two chapters. Not sit, though, it's called, it says seated. Because this talks about who we are in Christ and that as Christ is seated in the heavenly places, we are seated in Christ with him in heavenly places. Now, in case you don't understand what that means, that means we're seated with him on his throne. We're not victims. We're not, we're not uh, defeated ones. We are not overcome. We are victors. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the Bible says, you gotta get a hold of this. You gotta imbibe the fact that you're seated with Christ. So when you become a Christian, when you unite your life with Christ, the mystery of mysteries is that the one who created all things for his glory, the one who created us in his image, the one who, the one who is the ever living one has invited us to reign in his universe with him. So guess what? All those isms are coming and they're going. And so that's the faith we live in. And then the middle of the book, there's about eight times it talks about how you walk. And we come to a place where it says, um, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It tells us how to walk. And then interestingly, it goes into all kinds of relational experiences. How do you walk? You walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit filled, being filled with the Spirit has as, has, has as much to do with your relationships as it has to do with your giftings. Yes, being filled with the Spirit releases special giftings from God. But being filled with the Spirit turns you into the gift. Then he talks about how to walk in the spirit. He talks about wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters. In that order, chronologically, and I can't help but note just for a moment for you this morning that he, he takes the person who seems to <clears throat> positionally have the least power and he speaks to them first. Because this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ does not take people without positional authority and put them in a worse place. It takes them and puts them in a place of what? If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, then every person is more than a conqueror through Christ. And so we don't see the world through victor lend, uh, victim lenses. We see the world through ennobled, empowered, blessed, Lenses. We see, we see ourselves, in a, in a, in, and I just am noted that he speaks to the wife, then the husband. He speaks to the children, 
then the fathers. Text speaks to the slaves and then the masters. We talked about the slaves and masters, and we're going to probably, we're going to actually have that not in the rearview mirror, but in the focus of what we're going to talk about today. So eight times it talks about walking, and if you're going to walk, you're going to walk in the Spirit. And then last of all, stand. Three times, all compressed into the sixth chapter, we are instructed to stand. Now, <laughs> the standing is the position, is the literally the posture of a person that's at war. Is of a person who is, by the way, uh, being, uh, finding themselves largely under assault. So I'm sorry, you have come into a world of warfare. You like say, well, when am I ever going to get some peace and quiet? Hmm. Probably not. Probably not. And I get up, glad I get to preach on that because I want you to know that I'm kind of the guy who wants some peace and quiet. But I think God's been pretty clear that there's, there's warfare in front of us and warfare ahead of us. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to be very specific. I'm not talking to you in a way so that I can say, uh, don't worry about anything. I think there's plenty to be concerned about because you're engaged in a great struggle. And I've, I've never felt more called to be engaged in the this worldly struggle than I do right now. And at this time, um, I will digress if I'm not careful, but I'm going to have a couple more weeks to speak on this and I want to leave time for some other things. So let's look at the scripture. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Yell and I just returned from Spokane, Washington, where we spent um, the last five days. Uh, we, we joined a, a house church that, well, I say a house church, they actually, they actually meet in a coffee shop. And uh, we, we, we joined them for their ministry and some teaching with them. On Monday night, Gail did a teaching. You won't be surprised to know that she taught on strengthening yourself in the Lord, right? And um, this passage says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The assumption that God makes is that you can do that. When all your strength is gone in you, when all your hope is gone in you, you can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When your breath is gone, when your hope is gone, when your help is gone, you can be strong in the Lord. And so I'm just speaking to you in the spirit. I'm saying to you, strengthen yourselves right now. Strengthen yourselves for, for the battle you're in, for the battle you're going into. Why? It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. 
against the schemes of the devil. Number one scheme of the devil that never, never leaves, number one scheme of the devil is lying. But, but the lies that the devil tells are typically subtle lies and then they get bigger as they go. One of the reasons that I'm most concerned about our nation right now is how much partnership our political leaders, our supposedly moral leaders have made with lying. How much partnership our media has made with lying. How much partnership there is with people with lying. You can see the lies. They're not even veiled from you. But what happens after a while is people have learned this. If we proclaim a thing to be true often enough, you'll embrace it. And this is why it's a language battle going on in our world. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now this is interesting because this comes out of what? Flesh and blood relationships, wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters. And in each of those cases, he's let them know that those are not adversarial relationships in Jesus Christ. And then here he comes and says, we're in an adversarial relationship. And he tells us, for, for, we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I hope that you're hoping that I'll give you more than a reading of that. And so I'll tell you now, we're only gonna like dance on it today because I, I will come back to it some more. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, I love this because Paul at Ephesus as he's writing to the Ephesians, Ephesus is just like the whole known world at the time. It's under the thumb of Rome. And the Caesars of Rome did not stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, and the Roman Empire is in ruins and the kingdom of our Christ still goes on. And this is true of every empire and every kingdom and every place in the world. But there's still something to go through. And I'm gonna tell you, he's saying you struggle not against um, flesh and blood, but I want you to know that what you do struggle against gets embodied in structural institutions. It has a corporate life that manifests in the world. So it will involve. Well, the reason I'm telling you this is because sometimes Christians tend to say, well, we can retreat from the world. Um, 
In fact, we want to be, we, we want to retreat. You might even say, Pastor, is that what you're doing? No, I'm, I'm getting myself ready to be on the cavalry instead of the infantry. I'm getting myself unencumbered from the cares of the world. Because I'm absolutely sure that there's some assignments that I have in the kingdom of God that I haven't walked in up to this point. And frankly, I want to be able to not say all my focus is on paying the bills. No, I want all my focus to be on paying the debt that I owe to Christ. Now, Christians have a tendency to so spiritualize things we don't deal with things in the real world. We also have the tendency to get an escapist end times theology that won't, that won't let us face the actual problems that are going on in the world. And I want to tell you right now that I think part of the problem in our nation is that, that a lot of Christians have stopped showing up and stopped paying attention. And the enemy has captured the institutions of the world. And, and, and I'm going to say specifically in our nation right now. And, and we're, we've, got a, we've got a battle on our hands. I tried very hard to tell people that I don't believe that the political parties represent the kingdom of God in any kind of perfect way. But I want you to know that we still are obligated as, as, as believers in Christ to be involved in what's going on in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our culture, because people's well-being and their lives are at stake. And, and the church has not always done well, and that's one of the reasons we're in the pickle we're in. A lot of that has had to do with a, with a, a blind eye on... Uh, treatment of our fellow man with regard to race. So we're dealing, with, we're dealing with some of the mess that we've been involved in. But I won't stop saying that the answer is not, I won't stop saying that, that reconciliation, restoration, redemption, and forgiveness is not the answer. Because the weapons of our warfare are the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God. Manifested, actually manifested. Help me, Lord. Okay. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I am going to tell you in the weeks to come where I think some of that is embedded. I have been telling you, but it gets embedded in ideals of the mind that control the corporate populations. One of the 
one of the twin ideas that that Christianity has, um, that the Judeo-Christian faith has embedded in the world, the twin ideas, creation by a good God and creation in the image of that good God. Those two ideas, if they are in you, determine the lens through which you see the world and through which you see your fellow fellow man. And they determine what you think is okay in law, what you think is okay in education, what you think is okay in the role of government. And so... I can't pull you out of the, the battle in the realm of this world. What I keep doing is telling you, no, you're embedded in it. And as I told them this week, you say, well, what is God doing about the problems in the world? Why doesn't God do something? I've said this over the years. When I said it to them in Spokane, it was like, whoa, you're what he's doing in the world. Why doesn't God do something? Well, he did. He sent his son and then he sent his spirit to incarnate his son in his servants. This is, you you get this? You and I are what he's done in this hour. And so I'm trying to think again, more. What's my role in it? I was walking into a restaurant yesterday. And I was feeling the weight of the things that are troubling me. And I was feeling that strong question. What can one person do? Like in an instant, the Spirit of God came on me. Usually, much more than you imagine. What can one person do? And then I was reminded of my life verse I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When we were confronting this issue of what's going on in race, I knew I had to speak on it, and I knew I had to speak on it more than once. And uh, one, of our, one of our church members exhorted me to read a book. Well, when you start three studies at once, somebody says, why don't you read this book too? Uh, you don't have time. Next thing I knew, I looked over, And Gail was reading the book. Two are better than one. And so and so she she read this book and uh, she's gonna illustrate the sermon with this book. So the scripture says stand. And we often look at the that verse, and for us it means Stand against the devices of the enemy. And that, for me, is a defensive posture. 
But I think God is telling us to stand and be ready to go. Stand and be ready to do your part. Stand and see what God has to say to you. And we sang this this morning. I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. And then we sang, miracles happen when you move. So God is calling us to be the miracle worker, the way maker. He's going to do it through us. But we have to listen. We have to get on board. So I'm going to tell you the story of two men who are becoming the solution to what's wrong in the world. But first I want to read you um, a couple of, a little quote from a man named Lou Engel, who's very crucial to this story. How many of you do not know who Lou Engel is? Raise your hand. Okay, Lou Engel is a man who God called, he's all about prayer. He's all about a move of God through intercession. And these are his word. What moves you? What is your passion? Stay close to the burning bush in your life. What burns in you and never goes out. When you find something like that, draw close to it and you'll hear your name. So that's really important to the story. You'll hear your name. The first man that I want to share his story a little bit, I can't, I, there's no way I can tell you the entire story. So the book is called The Dream King. Jesus is the real dream king, but he can put his dream in us and we can, we can act on it. So the first one is Will Ford. Will grew up in a Christian family. He had gone into the business world and, and God called him out of that. And he actually got connected to Lou Engel and was part of his ministry. But he tells the story about um, being a little boy and listening to the stories of his family and his family came from a long line of Christian slaves. They were in slavery, African-American heritage. And, and he heard his great-grandmother telling the stories about what it was like to be in, owned by other people. But the unique thing about this family is that they had a kettle they had used that kettle to cook in, to wash in. But the, the most fascinating thing that I never knew is that the Christian slaves would go out in the night into the field when everyone else was asleep and they would take that kettle and they would turn it upside down and they would pray their prayers into the kettle. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Why would they do that? Well, they did that because it was dangerous work. They were putting their life at risk to pray. Their slave owners had forbid it. You don't learn to read. You don't write. 
and you certainly don't pray. See, they were out in the field praying into the kettle. The kettle would muffle the noise and protect them from being heard by their slave owners. But they knew that their prayers were being taken to the throne room. You know, Revelation talks about this. The prayers of the saints are going up and they're filling the bowls. And then God will turn the bowls down upon the earth. So this was the history of this young man named Will Ford. His great-grandmother's name was Harriet Lockett. So Will had been uh, given, this kettle had been passed down. He was the fifth generation that it had inherited this kettle. And he found himself being taken out of the world of business into the world of ministry. And his aim was to make a difference in racial restoration. And so he actually is going to speak at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, church in Atlanta. And the night before he goes, I'm going to read the the dream to you because I think it's really important. He has a dream. He said, I was there to speak at the church at the request of my dear friend, Lou Engel. In the dream, Lou and I were driving in an SUV to the church and we couldn't get there without picking up Dr. King. As we pulled up to his house, Dr. King came out carrying a white duffel bag with black handles. He went to the curb and dumped out everything in the duffel bag. Once it was empty, to my surprise, he threw away the bag as well. Dr. King then walked over to our vehicle and opened the door to ride with us. In the dream, I thought his bag would make a nice souvenir. But when I went to retrieve it, Dr. King grabbed me and abruptly turned me around. Staring intently into my eyes with his hands on my shoulders, he said, No, do not go back and pick that up. He began to tell me what I needed to do to heal the race issue and contend for justice in America. I began weeping in the dream and woke up with tears streaming down my face. I knew the dream was important. I shared it with Lou, and he began to tear up as well. I still can't recall what Dr. King said to me, but while praying for the interpretation, I began to understand the significance of the white duffel bag with black handles. Suddenly, I realized the black handles represented my African-American race and the white duffel bag represented my, quote, white baggage, end quote. The dream revealed how God wanted me, an African-American, to handle any unresolved white issues that have been carried for too long. So Will goes on to remember all of the, the incidences in his growing up and even adult life where the white man had hurt him. And it's, it's important to remember that when Dr. Martin Luther King began his movement for justice for the African-American 
people in this country. He did it in a peaceful way, but he also did it in a way that said, you cannot join me in this movement if you have bitterness or unforgiveness. So this was Will's divine moment of remembering and resolving and placing at the feet all of the hurt that he had had so that as he went forward, he would go forward in peace. Got it? Okay, because of that incident and that dream, Lou asks him to go to Washington, D.C. and speak at a national event on January the 15th, Martin Luther King Day, 2005, before the Lincoln Memorial. Okay. The other person in the story, his name is Matt Lockett. Well, Matt grew up in a Christian home. He went to college. He went into the marketplace and happened to live in Denver, Colorado. Now, Matt, I, I would gather, was probably from a denomination or a, an upbringing that would be more like um, evangelical. You know, he didn't really, he said, I didn't dream much. I Certainly, that was unusual for me. So that was, he, he wasn't, you know, ex, used to hearing God, I think, like we are accustomed to. Hey, guess what? Doesn't matter. God can do whatever he wants to. Unfortunately for Will, and he was young, a, a, a young adult, but he had a family of his own. In 2004, his father dies very suddenly. This sends him into a tailspin. And he begins to say, who am I? You know, that often happens when you've lost a parent. Who am I really? Where do I come from? Well, the only thing he knew was he only had one brother, but he knew that his father was a sibling of 16 Really, 17, but one had died. 16 surviving siblings. That's a lot of kids in one family, I got to tell you. But they had been farmers. I think they were tobacco farmers in Kentucky. And his reckoning was they needed a lot of kids to help with all that farming. So, Will knew from what he had been told that Every time his family would go searching for their heritage, they would hit roadblocks and not be able to discover. I don't know why. That was just their story. They couldn't find out who they were. Will has, not Will, Matt has a dream. And he has this dream that he said, I woke up, I remembered my dream, and I knew that there might be something that I needed to pay attention in that. And he said, I dreamt about a guy named Lou Engel. I never heard of anybody like that. I don't even know who that is. But he spoke to his wife about it. They both decided that maybe there was something in that dream that he needed to pay attention to. So he researches who this man is, and he actually reached out to Lou to say, I don't know why, but I'm... I had this dream, and it was about you. And Lou said, well, I want to know about the dream because Lou Engel's all about dreams. And so he tells him the dream. They, Lou felt that there was some significance on it as well, and he invites uh, Matt 
to come to Washington, D.C. on January 17th, 2005 to join him at this national prayer event in front of the Lincoln Memorial. So Matt talks to his wife. His wife is getting ready to have a baby, so she can't go with him. He takes his daughter, and off they go. And he talks about how cold it was that day. It's an outside event. But he hears... Will Ford speak at that event? And there's something in that, that he's drawn to this, this man. So they have a conversation, and out of that one event become, comes out this amazing friendship. And they just start this back-and-forth friendship. They don't live in the same place. They live in different cities, but they, um, they begin a friendship. Well, Matt goes back home. He goes back to his job, and the Lord just begins to speak to him. And then Lou Engel calls him and says, I believe you are supposed to come help me be a part of my ministry. And long story, Matt talks to his wife. They go, we can do this. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, people. He's got a really good job in Denver. And, but he just like, God's on this. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm going to say yes. So they move to Washington, D.C. He joins Lou's ministry. Lou is all about um, getting the vision for what God is calling. And then they go and they make preparation by interceding in the places where they're going to go. I mean, this book is just incredible. There's so much I cannot tell you. I know Ken and Margaret already downloaded it on Kindle and read the whole thing last night. So it's an easy read. So Matt is going with Lou to the Appomattox Courthouse. Do you know the significance of that? They're getting ready for an event. Appomattox Courthouse, I know my Canadian friends probably don't know, but it's where the surrender was signed at the end of the Civil War. So they go here and they're preparing for this event and praying. And Matt notices that there is a something... Uh, it's called the Battle of Lockett's Farm. Oh, I forgot to tell you that when Will was speaking at the event in Washington, D.C., he's telling the history of the kettle, and he mentions his great-grandmother's name was Harriet Lockett. Matt's little girl looks at Daddy and says, he just said our name. Remember what I read you first? Matt's prayer had been, God, just let me hear my name. Let somebody call my name. This is a total setup. God is setting these people up big time. So he sees this, this don't even remember whether it was a document or a little uh, pamphlet, but it was called The Last Shot, The Battle of Lockett's Farm. So... It sparks his attention and says, huh, that's my name. Wonder if there's any connection. Long story short, long, I am really shortening this story, but his brother had found some information on the family. Matt takes this back to his brother, and they find out that Lockett Farm was Matt's family. Crazy. The, the, the other significance is the last battle of the Civil War was fought in, on his family's property. 
they, so he's beginning to really start, he's getting stirred. And the story goes on and the crazy thing is they discover, he goes to Will and he's sparked by the fact, now Will's great grandmother's name was spelled with one T, Lockett. His was with two T's. They're still curious. Could there be some kind of connection between our families? They discover that Matt's family had owned Will's family. Now, they're already friends, but this takes them into a deeper relationship. Imagine this. Will has heard, I mean, and there were some horrible things done to his family. He had an uncle that, that died as a result of the beating that he took. And these are the things that become so alive in your mind when you meet someone who you know, your family owned my family. So, for Matt, it took him into a place of deep, deep repentance. And for Will, it took him into a deeper place of forgiveness. And these two men have teamed up to go around the country and present their message. Do you see how God had his hand on these two young men for he had a plan for generations. The truth is, those Christian slaves that would pray under the kettle, God heard their prayer. And the justice came at the end of the Civil War when African Americans were no longer enslaved. But God knew that there was more that had to be done. And he put the lives of these two men together so that they can have a message, and I believe because of their relationship, they can bring breakthrough in this country. Amazing, isn't it? And I thought last night as I was talking about them, I thought, what if one of them had just said no? They were both in the business world. Neither one of them were in ministry. They both had to hear the voice. Strangely enough, they both had dreams. So, This is Matt. Let me attempt to sum up the story to this point. My African-American friend, Will, and I were both led by dreams from God to the same spot on the same day, the place where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave I Have a Dream speech. It was at the Lincoln Memorial, which stands as a monument to the great emancipator who led the nation during a time of unprecedented division and bloodshed in America. The Lord had drawn our attention to the history of Appomattox Courthouse, where the American Civil War ended through a dream that gave us vivid language for our prayers. After many years of praying into that dream, I discovered that the last battle of the Civil War, which was fought to end and the injustice of slavery took place in my family's front yard. Will had, been, had already been preaching for years with the kettle about the legacy of prayer for abolition. Then my family was revealed to be the ones who owned those praying slaves. As they were praying for slavery to end, it was, it was as though God drew a line on the land that represented their bondage. When the war got to that line on Lockett's farm, it could go no further. 
Will and I have bound ourselves together as brothers for years, contending for revival in the land, racial healing, and the ending of the ongoing injustice in America. We now realize that God had a much bigger plan in mind, and it was a plan that began long ago. They have gone on to have a ministry that is far beyond just the racial reconciliation and the racial injustice. They have also been taking on the issue of abortion. He, he goes into the great detail about the beginning of abortion was by a, a wealthy white woman. Her name was Margaret. Sanger, Sager, whatever her name was, Margaret. And her, do you know that her plan was eugenics? It was to eliminate the, the population control all by killing these babies. And they would plant their abortion clinics in poor black neighborhoods. It's not a godly thing at all. So pray for these men, Will Ford and Matt Lockett. Will found out through his family line, the reason his last name is Ford is because, I think it was when his grandfather was born, his parents said, you will not be named after a slave owner, and they changed his name. But really, his family name was Lockett. Look at what God has done. And I'm telling you, this thing has set me on fire because if one of them had said no, we, they would have never known. They would have never probably ever known. But they didn't. They said yes. They said yes to stepping into a place of mystery before the unfolding of the plan. They just said yes to what God was asking them to do. All they did was say yes. They didn't even, I don't even think Matt really understood how to lean into the, into the spirit. But it didn't matter. When you hang around the dream king, that's Jesus. You get into a dream stream and join yourself to a dream team. And you do the Martin Luther King thing. Come on. For those of you who do research, because you hear something, you go, Adam, I'm look that up. Lockett Farm is also the Battle of Sailors Creek. So that's how you'll find it listed. Um, stand together and prepare yourselves for the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest in our church, um, the center of our faith is Jesus Christ. And the essence of celebrating our faith is to receive Christ. And the most historic way of receiving Christ was always through the, the communion. So that literally, Jesus said, you, you, if you eat my flesh and drink my, my blood, you can be my disciples. That was Jesus' language for receiving me. Even as the fall happened, because they ate the food that the serpent beguiled them to eat. Our redemption is celebrated in the eating of the tree of life. 
and Jesus is the tree of life. It's only as our culture convulses with what to do about old alienations, we continue to testify to the only thing that can actually resolve those alienations. You see, the Christian gospel does not teach that being paid back is the way you get justification. But even as we receive grace rather than get paid for our sins, our sins are forgiven in the same way. This is how we operate with one another by releasing one another from the debt. And so the gospel says the debt in Christ is canceled, but human beings have to live that out. And so today we remember again that our reconciliation and restoration is in Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and forgave us. The body of Christ, church, this is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is given for you. The scripture talks about the life being in the blood. Jesus shed his blood that we would have eternal life and that we would have abundant life. So we receive the blood of Jesus over us again today. Church, the, the blood of Christ has been given for you.